Welcome to a D&D Candle Lab. Welcome to the D&D 5e Character Lab Podcast. With your hosts, Karen and Dan. And welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around the one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we're bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It's then up to us to use our personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey again, everyone. I'm Dan. And I'm Garen. And this week, we are super excited to be joined by one half of one of our absolute favorite third-party publishers out there, Mike, the middle finger of Vecna from Mage Hand Press. Hi, guys. I am really excited to be here. Now, Mike, I've been a patron of Mage Hand Press for a little over two years now, so I'm lucky enough to know all of the lovely things that you guys do and how talented you guys are. But why don't you go ahead and take a moment to explain to our listeners, you know, who is Mage Hand Press, what do you guys do, and how does one get a hold of your content? Uh, yeah, sure thing. We have been making content for 5th edition since right about the time it came out. And we've been releasing things uh, about three times a week on our blog, Middle Finger of Vecna, MageHandPress.com. Uh, in that time, we've kind of written everything you can think of. Hundreds of archetypes, uh, races, base classes, the works. We've got a Patreon starting at a dollar, uh, where we put out 30 to 50 page books every month. This month, by the by, is the Siege Ball Sourcebook. A whole supplement that gives you rules for teams, magic items, and archetypes for everyone's favorite fantasy sport, Siege Ball. And most recently, we're running our first ever Kickstarter to print our new book, Dark Matter, which is this 200-page sci-fi conversion for 5th edition that doesn't leave your favorite fantasy staples behind with all the sci-fi stuff. If you want to get a taste of what that book is all about, there is a free 30-page sample book on our Kickstarter page. Look for Dark Matter. Yeah, you guys are, like, super generous with your content. Their Patreon tiers are ridiculously cheap, and their content is worth paying more than a dollar. Trust me when I tell you. <laughs> and you can go on the website and get access to quite a few things completely for free just to look at. And then it tells you, you know, if you want more, here's where you go. And Mike, you mentioned the Dark Matter supplement. That is in part of why we are here today. So in honor of that supplement and the Kickstarter that you guys have going on at the moment, we decided to use this content of the supplement to build level 10 characters this week. And that being said, Mike, as our guest, we will let you have the floor. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the character you have built. Already, I built Barbaros the Bloodmonger, who earned his name in the fighting pits on Nyx, and through a very brief stint on the game show Galactic Gauntlet. Very <laughs> few people suspect that Barbaros is anything other than a bloodthirsty gladiator, and nobody other than his agent and his few fellow adventurers knows that Barbaros is actually just a stage persona. The nearly seven-foot-tall warrior is actually a prototype frame, commanded by the bubbly and inventive gnome gadgeteer, Ravy Glitterwind. Ravy is innovative and resourceful to no end, with a passion for perfecting her mech suit, which stands fully twice her height, into the galaxy's most fearsome warrior. If her suit is ever demolished, as it has been a few times before, Ravy bails out with an overcharged blaster in hand and no fewer than three drones watching her back. Ravy is assisted by her constant companion, an artificial intelligence known as Charon. Charon is a voice in Ravy's ear, giving a firm and logical, if occasionally dryly sarcastic, analysis of the situation. When needed, Charon can actually deploy a blue screen protocol, which shuts down constructs in the area for a few moments. And as any proficient gadgeteer does, Ravy's got a number of devices she can throw out at a moment's notice, but I think we'll talk about those in detail later. <laughs> wow. How did that hurt you? You love constructs, and this character can totally EMP those bad boys. I love it. Th that blue screen protocol is such nice flavor. 
Well, this sounds like a great character, but Dan, do you want to tell Mike about what we have brought to the lab? Let me introduce you to Poro Paco Patrick Pete from the Planet Pizza Party Potopot. Now, this is a name. <laughs> this is a name that was submitted by our patron and also the host of Inner Party Conflict, Gabe. So, Poro Paco hails from the once celebrated tourist destination, Planet Pizza Party Potopot, where land-loving, flying, and aquatic creatures alike could partake in endless festival of cheese, sauce, and bread. Toppings from all over the universe made the pizza legendary. One day, during the midday pizza siesta, the planet found itself swarming with wrath. The ravagers killed indiscriminately until they found the source of their search, the pizza recipe vault. Within moments, the thousands of delicious recipes were taken and any cooks were slaughtered, stealing the source of popularity. Poro Paco worked as a concierge on the planet, able to communicate with any guest and make sure they got the pizza that they desired. When this hospitality job became moot, he dusted off the devastating spells he swore to keep secret and set out on a personal mission to recover even a fraction of the lost recipes. This is a level 10 Nautilid war mage of the Coalition Arcanist House and the Interpreter Background. Um, so I should say a little bit about the War Mage class. It is a spellcaster that uses cantrips in the same way that a fighter might use weapons. You've got cantrips yes. for every situation, and your cantrips hit hard. They're very militaristic. They they organize themselves in houses, uh, normally chess-themed. This is the Coalition, which has a place in Dark Matter as this massive military organization. So uh, I love what you have done with it and give it a, a beautiful pizza theme. Uh, <laughs> that's this is actually fantastic. our second pizza-themed character on this show. Uh, <laughs> Gabe's name just struck home with me when I saw it, and I was like, well, obviously, Pizza Planet Party. Mike, did you give us the rundown as to what your race, class, and background was? Oh, I am running a gnome with the technologist background, and I'm playing a gadgeteer. Uh, the gadgeteer is a class that uses a lot of gadgets. Uh, in this case, I've also got a mech suit. And one fun little note about the gadgeteer is I believe it is being offered as a stretch goal on the Kickstarter that you are currently running for Dark Matter. Is that right? Yes, it's uh, one of the earlier stretch goals, so fingers crossed we get there. I mean, it's completely finished and written, and I just really want to slot it into the book. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited. Awesome. So both these characters sound absolutely ethereal, kind of how I feel every time I spark up a cantrip candle. Cantrip candles are the purveyors of 100% soy candles that are specifically designed to accompany your tabletop adventures in games like D&D and Pathfinder. They have a great selection of scents that smell like different locations in a fantasy world, musty taverns, libraries full of arcane texts, or how about sweet? Big farmhouse with notes of citrus, figs, and berries. But to be honest, their scents are so diverse and full of potential that one can find a scent to fit any of your adventure settings in their sampler pack, which offer all of their scents for just $11 plus shipping. Once you decide that you want to buy every single one of them, we are happy to announce that you now can, and the lab will help cover some of the cost. When you use the code LABRAT, all one word, L-A-B-R-A-T, at checkout, you receive 10% off your total purchase. Be sure to check them out. That's Cantrip Candles. And if you don't know how to spell cantrip, you shouldn't be playing D&D. Thank you, Garen, and Cantrip Candles for that message. Now, Mike, because you are our guest, we would like to give you the floor and have you show us how your gnome and mech fare in the melee category. 
Yeah, so normally, uh, the Gadgeteer is not a melee class, necessarily. It's a D6 class, so you probably don't want to be getting in close, but because I've got the prototype frame, I can uh, walk around and tank a few hits. Uh, the prototype frame gives me an integrated weapon, which I can basically install right into the suit, and I don't need proficiency to use it, and because even though Ravy is small size, her mech suit, Barbaros, is medium, so he can be swinging around heavy weapons. So I've got a rocket hammer, and I'm going to also get 10 temp HP every turn from the mech suit, which helps me uh, withstand a few hits. I'm not going to be quite as tanky as a barbarian or a fighter, but I am going to be able to uh, survive a little bit in melee. What kind of damage does this special hammer you have? What kind of damage does it do? Oh, so the rocket hammer is 1d10, but once per turn, uh, you can fire up the rocket on the back to deal an extra d4 damage on a hit. Ah, that Whoa. is pretty neato. So now, on a scale of plus two to minus two, where do you think you fall uh, in the melee category? I'm going to argue a plus one. I'm not going to be as weak as a, a spellcaster, and I'm not going to be quite as strong as a fighter slinging around a whole bunch of attacks. But I can hold my own comfortably in melee, and I've got a few tricks up my sleeve. Now, Garen, I think I'll take the floor with this argument. I really do like that rocket hammer, and I like the extra D4 that you can deal out by activating that rocket. However, he did bring in a couple of tankiness arguments to pad that plus one. I'm going to ask for a zero. What do you think, Aaron? I would also agree to that. Dude, this is feeling much more like a zero to me too, Mike. Okay, I can agree with that. I'll take a zero. Perfect. We could have gone for a negative one, Garen. Damn it. No, we couldn't have. Not at all. Have you seen our sheet? <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention, I can swing twice a turn. Well, I've got my frame oh. past fifth level. I've got that bonus action. I can swing my bonus action to hit again. Oh. Um, so I am swinging like twice a turn as a regular class. And thank God um, he already he agreed to a zero, Garen. Well, I can accept <laughs> I can accept the zero because I'll be hitting about as well as a normal melee class, even though I'm not. So I'm swinging above my weight, but not too far above. <laughs> All right, that got a little dicey, but I think I think we're we're settled on that. So, Mike, well, why don't you hear out our melee category here? As a war mage, we obviously have access to the Shalele cantrip, with a plus eight to hit, one d eight plus damage using the intelligence modifier and we have part of our iron hero feet already going to bust out this feat. we have advantage on attacks against creatures that bring an ally to zero during the last round so that's a little extra circumstantial advantage on our uh, on our melee category so we were actually arguing a zero as well with a possible 12 damage in a round this zero feels real weak well compared yeah, to I... his now it does <laughs> well yeah, so you're getting you're getting one good attack out around, but I think in melee most of the times you're going to want to take the opportunity attack and just get back into range because you're going to get that sweet sweet war mage damage. So if you're stuck in melee and you have to pull out shillelagh, you're probably going to just want to tank the hit. You'd probably almost be better off using shocking grasp. We didn't take shocking grasp. That oh. would be magic damage. This is just this is just what he can do in a hand to hand fight. I would push for negative one. I think that's a minus one. Yeah, I think it's totally fair, given that you took a zero and were able to deal out about <laughs> twice as much damage. So Now, moving into the ranged category, uh, we're just going to come in here, be totally honest. We're arguing a negative one. We have a light crossbow with a plus six to hit. Deals out 1d8 plus two damage. So, here's a question. Dark Matter comes with an entire uh, list of blasters, which are magically powered but they are weapons in the traditional sense. They're just dealing radiant force or lightning damage. Uh, that would have one, made sense. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, do I'm assuming those weapons count as ranged attacks. 
Yes, they would. Wonderful, because Barbaros is uh, flinging around a ton of extra damage with her overcharge ability, which once per turn adds a bunch of damage to the blaster. Now, the, the damage is going to be calculated a little different from a War Mage's cantrip, but both of these classes are actually really big one-hit-per-turn classes, which makes them bad at handling mooks, but they can definitely take off someone's top hat at range. So <laughs> I'm going to be swinging around my repeater, and because uh, Barbaros is going to be dealing with, you know, this great big rocket hammer, Ravy's actually going to have to bail out of the mech to pull out her repeater and deal with it at range. Uh, but she's going to be dealing with 4d6 plus 4 at range oh. once per turn. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take range, but the second we go to blastiness, I don't have any spells at all. You're going to clean the floor. These are just slightly different categories. Okay. So Gary, right. he's assuring us that once we hit burninating, everything's going to change. So I'll take him at his word. <laughs> what are you arguing here for range? I think I've got a plus two. This is this is where gadgeteers normally get their damage. You know what, Dan? That blaster is pretty huge. I'm feeling like maybe this is the role, or we hold out for tankiness because he is in a mech suit, so I don't know. I, I do agree that this does seem like a really strong category for him. All right, Mike, we're going to push the roll on this. The DC is a 17. All right. Plus zero, so that is a nine. Ooh. Nine even, so you will take a plus one. We'll take it. So, it is now your turn, Mike, with that plus one in range. We're going to take it to burninating. Do you have any magic damage? I have uh, no magic damage outside of my blasters. So as far as burninating, I think I've got nothing. So I'm going to argue a minus two here. And you will get be no rebuttal from either of us. <laughs> yep, that's fine. <laughs> All right, so when we come to burninating, this is obviously, Mike, will be no surprise to you. Our war mage is arguing a plus two here. Some of the cantrips we took are Ray of Frost and Glacial Blade. And because of our war mage edge, once per turn, we can add our intelligence modifier plus half our war mage level rounded up to the first attack, which would make a Ray of Frost 2d8 plus 9 on an attack. We also have the Coalition Blaster Gauntlet. This is a level 3 ability you get when you become a Coalition Arcanist, and once per turn you can activate one of these abilities, and one of those is Overheat, where you add two additional damage die, but you can't use your spellcasting focus until the next turn. So it blocks Gosh. you out of any spells as a bonus action, but it would make that Ray of Frost 48. Plus 9. We also, plus 9. We also have Whoa. the War Mage Flexible Range, which is one of our tricks. You get 6 tricks at level 10 as a War Mage. These tricks mm -hmm. are kind of like invocations. That's the best way to describe them. They specifically focus on changing your uh, cantrips in specific ways that makes them more fluid than a way a normal cantrip would work. So Flexible Range is going to give you the ability to take a melee cantrip and make it ranged or vice versa and we really like what you did here with this this adds a lot of really cool depth magic casting so yeah so as you said our melee is range our range is melee we also took the select fire trick where our cantrips can spread out those damage die against a number of creatures equal to the damage die so that 4d8 ray of frost can be spread as 1d8 to four different enemies and the last thing I want to highlight in this category is the Glacial Blade Cantrip, which is one of your brand new cantrips that you guys have written, where you put it on a melee attack. It does, at level 10, it'll do 2d10 plus your modified damage. And then the creature has to make a con save on fail. If they are hit again before their next turn, they will take an additional 2d8 damage. And this is a great point to mention, where as a War Mage, we took the Blaster feature, so our spell save DC is increased by two. Perfect. Yeah, you're not going to hear any argument from me. I think you guys get that plus two. Beautiful. Now, moving into control, this is both battlefield and out of battle control. We are also arguing a plus two here. 
We have the Frigid Cantrip. When you deal cold damage to a creature with a War Mage Cantrip, the creature must make a con saving throw, and on a failed save, it can't make more than one melee ranged attack until the start of its next turn, and a creature can only be affected uh, once per turn. We also have Unerring Strike. When you cast True Strike, you can concentrate on it for a number of rounds equal to your Intelligence modifier. Uh, you gain advantage on the first attack roll you make against the target each round while maintaining concentration on True Strike. We also took the Iron Hero Feat, which uh, if a hostile creature you see takes a legendary action, you can use your reaction to intercede, preventing the legendary action from happening. Huge! Once yeah. you use this ability, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest, but man, if you use it, you have some battlefield control. We also yes, have the worth Mist the uh, Misty Vision War Mage trick, and it allows us to cast Detect Magic at will. So, I'm going to push back on that, and I think you, you need a plus one on this, because while you are good at shutting people down uh, uh, from necessarily dealing as much damage, you're not going to be able to shut down huge crowds. And you can shut down basically one target at a time, and you don't have any huge, um, broad range, like you can hit lots of people in lots of different places abilities. I actually like that argument. Um, we actually haven't ever really talked about how many people Oops. it affects. Yeah, how many yeah. how many targets they debuff. And I think that's a really good argument because that is true. This is this is primarily a tunnel vision kind of one shot at a time sort of category. So, I do think that's a fair argument for a plus 1. It's a great brand new argument. I love it. So, yes. Now, he showed great control in giving us that plus 1, but how much control does your character have in or out of battle? Now, I'm going to argue for a plus one here, because when I can shut something down, it gets shut all the way down. I've got blue screen protocol, which uh, affects constructs only, uh, and they have to make a save with disadvantage or be incapacitated, even if they would be uh, immune to being incapacitated for a couple of rounds. Also, I've got overheat beacon, uh, which is a device I can activate, and that shuts down blasters. They overheat for three rounds. Uh, now this has a one minute cooldown, so you can't use it too often, but I've taken an upgrade. The Gadgeteer can upgrade some of his uh, gadgets, which uh, takes the place of instead of taking another gadget, you make one of your gadgets better, which means it doesn't affect my blasters, which for Barbaros is fantastic because in Dark Matter, lots of people carry blasters and I'm going to shut down everybody else's blasters and lure them into melee so I can crush them with my rocket hammer. So you are able to block out ranged attacks for the most part, which is really nice. But you're down to just those two features, correct? Is that what the argument was? Yeah, and I'm and I'm for those situations, it's very very powerful. But if I'm running up against a bunch of archers or a dragon's breath, I'm not going to be able to shut that down. So I won't take the plus two. I can take the plus one, or I think you could argue plus zero. But I would say that it's rather circumstantial, given that the constructs argument and the and the blasters. Garen, what do you think? Yeah, it's a little it's a little bit circumstantial. Those are really cool. I love the abilities. But yes, because they, because <laughs> they don't have universal impact, I would argue this is a zero. Okay, I'll take a zero on that one. Moving into tankiness, how well can your character take a hit? And I think we got a little bit of a preview of this earlier. Yeah, I think it's important to address this in the melee section because, you know, if you're great at melee but you go down in one hit, you're not good at melee. Um, <laughs> so the Gatchetier is technically a D6 character, but you get Prototype, which is a, it's not a subclass, but it's a big important feature you pick early, and it kind of controls the way you play. So I took the Experimental Frame which is this a medium-sized mech suit that I climb in and do all my fighting in. Got a couple of limitations, but it gives me a bonus action attack, uh, another bonus action melee attack at 5th level, and it gives me 10 temporary hit points at the beginning of each of my turns. So even though I'm only a D6 class running around with 57 hit points, I get an extra 10 at the beginning of each turn. So if I'm hit by two really big Nova attacks or something, I might be weak, but if I'm hit by a couple of small attacks every turn, I'm going to be A-OK. -okay. 
So what's your um, AC while you're inside the suit? The AC while I'm inside the suit is 18. Ooh, beefy. Um, the, yeah, the AC is calculated as dex plus int. So it's 10 plus dex plus int while you're in the, while you're in the suit. The temp HP is just kind of good all the time. You never know when you're going to be attacked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love okay. that. I'm, I'm sort of seeing, like, taking a hit and the thing just goes, you know, like, kind of recharges. Love it. So what are you arguing for tankiness? I'm thinking plus one. It's probably not as good as a barbarian. I'm not, uh, I'm not mitigating any damage coming in, but I can block basically one really good hit every turn. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely getting a plus one. That's 10 temp, temp HP per round with an AC of 18. Huge. It's worth mentioning I didn't take any feats when building this character. I pumped it all into uh, I pumped it all into those stats. So I've got a very good int and a very good dex, uh, which is helping buff that AC up a little. Yeah, definitely. Good. Yeah, you get your plus one in tankiness. We are also arguing a plus one in tankiness. We have 80 hit points. The war mage is a D8. We have a AC of 15 because a nautilid also wears a suit of of sorts. We haven't even explained a nautilid. A nautilid is a aquatic race that wears a suit most of the time and it kind of gave me a big daddy from oh geez i just drew a blank oh, what am i thinking of bioshock it is absolutely uh, yes. a little bit like a big daddy from bioshock but the difference is the big daddy from bioshock has this big diving suit because they go out in the water instead this is a fish person who wears the diving suit to keep the water in exactly yes so while you're in the suit you have an ac of 13 plus dex which is a plus two for us you have fire resistance while you're in the suit we also have the War Mage Tactics, which is a six-level feature of the class. And you are able to add your intelligence modifier to saving throws you make against spells and magical effects that deal damage. That is pretty big. So that's a plus four to any save. We also took a cantrip that you guys created called the Force Buckler, which is a mm -hmm. one-action, one-minute spell. And you must have one free hand to use it, but then you get the benefits of a shield, which is plus two AC, and... The last feature of our Iron Hero feat, when you're facing an enemy with a CR higher than yourself, you get an automatic plus two to your AC. So we have a potential AC of 19 in the right circumstances, but we are arguing a plus one. Yeah, I, I would almost give you a plus two. That's a very defensive build for, you've picked all the right stuff to have a very defensive War Mage build. Uh, it's a very customizable class. You can swing it in a couple of different directions. I never, I shouldn't be arguing to give you higher, but AC 19 <laughs> is really good in the right circumstance. And AC 17 isn't anything to sneeze at most of the time. Mike, some of this is basically your fault because we were looking at these things and just picking out the things that we thought were the most exciting and the most fun. That Iron Hero feat is so cool. Oh, yeah. I couldn't um, pass that up. You know what's funny about that is that that one wasn't written uh, specifically for Dark Matter. We did a funny uh, post about TV tropes, and we did feats for those, and that one was called Big Damn Hero. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, you are a big damn hero. I'll take a plus one. That's merciful, I think. <laughs> Great. So then moving into Ally Assist, before I tell how our lovely fish boy helps his fellow space-traveling buddies, let me tell our listeners how they can help out the D&D Character Lab. You heard a bit earlier from Mike about Mage Hand Press's Patreon and how uh, we are patrons of it ourselves. You need to become a patron of theirs too. And while you're on Patreon, head on over to our page. We have tiers that start at $1 and move all the way up to 20. We have a Discord that you can chat with us. We also create pop culture characters twice a month. We have bonus episodes. We have early access to our regular show. And we even allow you to name our characters as Gabe so graciously did this week. Best of all, our patrons have been battling one another in the Discord on the FanLab channel. And for more details on all of that, 
please head on over to patreon.com forward slash DD Character Lab. And again, please check out Maychan Press's Patreon. Now, we are arguing a minus one here. <laughs> we don't help our friends a whole heck of a lot. We do have Rapid Fortification, which allows you to cast the Mending Cantrip as a bonus action, or you can cast it as an action for one of the following effects. Drum roll. You can restore a single object such as a door, cart, wall, or window to pristine condition. Even if all of the original parts are not present, this object can be no larger than 10 cubic feet or one cubic foot if it is exceptionally complex, such as a clock. You can also create simple fortifications, such as sealing a door shut, adding wooden planks to a window, or building a short stone wall no larger than five square feet. You must have all of the materials present to use that ability. But that is all we have, but props to you for making the mending cantrip a little bit cooler. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that was definitely one that needed a bit of improvement for uh, people to think about it as being something other than uh, just kind of garbage. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take a minus one on this one as well, I think. There's stuff I could have taken for the Gadgeteer that would have been um, a lot more helpful to my allies. But right now, all I really have to help them out is a medical drone, which brings someone back to one HP once per day. And I've got like a couple of um, utility things. The Gadgeteer is very utility based. I've got a gravity manipulator, which is in no way the exact same thing as a gravity gun. <laughs> uh, a molecular destabilizer, which can basically melt anything as long as it's not living, not metallic, and not magical. And I've got a lot of duct tape, which as a gadgeteer is kind of nice just to have around, just just tons of rolls of duct tape. <laughs> so I'll take a minus one let's, on that one as well. Let's talk about that medic drone, though. That is actually kind of huge. I mean, in our home game recently, our druid almost died because she was on her last death save. To be able to just have someone who could just pop her back to one... With no risk, that would be big in a party. Yeah, and you can drop it as a reaction. And since I took Drone Jockey subclass, I can actually get them up to 1d10 instead of just the normal 1. Yeah, boy, that's better than ours. But I'm not going to, I won't up argue you. I think if you think you want a negative 1, you get a negative 1. I could probably take a 0 on that one, actually. Yeah. Now that I start talking about the drones. I definitely think you are worthy of a 0. But moving into ability balance, how balanced is your character uh, this week? Ooh, let's see. I've got. Pretty good dex and pretty good int and okay con. But charisma, wisdom, and strength are pretty low. Not helped by the fact that I'm a gnome, of course. So, uh, zero? Could you run down your numbers from strength to charisma for us? Oh, yeah, sure thing. Strength is going to be eight. Dexterity, 18. Like I said, I was throwing some feats at that. Constitution, 14. Intelligence, 18. Wisdom, 10. And charisma, 10. So nothing's too low except for strength. And my int and dex are pretty nice. Yeah, I think this is actually, based off what you explained, a pretty balanced character. What are your proficiencies? I've got Arcana, History, Investigation. That's, uh, I think I might have another one floating around. But the important thing I want to bring up about this is that my AI companion, Charon, can actually help me solve logical problems and can uh, buff out my knowledge if I've forgotten something. So if I roll an Arcana, History, or Technology roll, Oh boy, I have to explain technology in a second. If I roll less than 14, I can treat it as a 14. My uh, AI can just speak in my ear and go, hey, that's actually not how that works. It can also solve uh, math problems I pose to it. There's three new skills in dark matter. There's technology, which is all about wiring stuff up and plugging stuff in and getting those servos working. There's data, which is all about smacking a keyboard and hacking stuff. Uh, and then there's piloting, which is piloting ships through space and uh, pulling hard turns and doing clever Han Solo stuff. Well, I like that. Yeah, that is very interesting. That's a lot of outside of combat, which is something you really got to focus on when you're looking at this overall character and problem solving 
getting through those tough situations. I think you get a plus two. I'll take a plus two. I'm not going to say no to that. To balance a totally rad character, you didn't mention you had AI. I forgot about the AI. Uh, I'll take a plus two if you're going to give me a plus two. But I'm fully aware of where the boundaries are here. The second I have to deal with wood and nails and dirt and outside. Okay. <laughs> good. All right. Fair enough. So I think a plus one then is probably good. Okay. I'm good we've with the plus I, one. We've identified a weakness. What do you guys have? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, we're actually arguing a plus one also. We have a strength of 13, dex of 14, con of 10, intelligence of 18. The war mage got to have that intelligence. Nice. Wisdom of 10 and charisma of 12. We have investigation, insight, perception, and persuasion. The one cool, super cool thing that we have here is part of our subclass, the Coalition Arcanist. At level 7, you get Tactical Uplink, where you are fitted with a neural implant, connecting you to the Coalition's vast archive of collected knowledge and surveying tools, granting you unparalleled battlefield awareness. You can add half your proficiency bonus rounded up to any intelligence or wisdom check you make that doesn't already use your proficiency bonus. Additionally, you can use an action to gain knowledge of the general lay of the land within a one mile radius. It only extends to surface level and does not detect creatures of any sort. This is a cool different look because you're always talking about jack of all trades, which really kind of beefs up all of your other classes. This is something for intelligence and wisdom, huge, actually. I yeah, love no, it. I, I agree. It's it's absolutely what we were thinking of was like, what would a magical spec ops dude look like? And being able to go, okay, there's a mountain over there. There's a village over there. There's this many buildings. Uh, let's flank around like this. Uh, I know this, this, and this. A team of these guys could basically cause real problems for <laughs> any party. Uh, what were you going to argue here? This is a plus one for us. I think in terms of tactical awareness, you are going to be really great. I would give you that plus one. Awesome. All right, moving into our smooth operator scenario. Uh, this week's was submitted by our patron, Ben Potts, and it reads, The party is visiting a small, out-of-the-way planet, and the party, Warlock, got a little careless with his demon summons. A few burning huts later, the primitive peoples on this planet are convinced the lot of you are devil worshippers. No matter how much the warlock insists that demons and devils are entirely different creatures and really quite hate each other. You've got a crowd of furious commoners ready to lynch your party with torches and pitchforks, and that idiot warlock is still talking. What do you do? So, for this category, we are arguing a plus two, and we have, as the interpreter background, you can use the flawless protocol to step forward and use the traditional greeting of this homeworld, which is, of course, a complicated handshake with lots of swag. <laughs> <laughs> a la LeBron James, for sure. With my persuasion, I convince the residents that my warlock friend was under the impression that dumb folks like themselves would be delighted to see hell beasts. Then I use mending to fix the damage in their village and offer to prepare a pizza for them, because that's, that's my M.O., and I'm not provision cooking, but who cares, because they're a bunch of hicks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Boy, that, that's a solid argument. You've got mending, you've got all of the bases covered. I don't have anything to say about that. That's awesome. <laughs> now, just to remind you, you still have your roll. I don't know if I want to blow that one here. That's perfect. Although, I guess we've got only two more, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll blow it later. How does your character manage this scenario? 
Now, normally, Barbaros the Bloodmonger is this spiked armor-wearing or spiked armor-looking fellow, but I think this is a time for uh, Ravy to pop out of the mech suit when no one's looking. Try your hand with a little bit of gnomish hospitality. Yeah, so Ravy doesn't have mending or the ability to make everybody pizza, but she should be able to at least get the warlock to shut up by talking to him directly. So I'm going to argue like a, oh man, a plus zero here? At the very least, I'm not going to be walking around in the giant mech suit for this one. <laughs> no, I think that would be a that would be a bad move. So for having the awareness to take the mech suit off, that's that's an easy zero for sure. And if that of all so, fails, we can just run away. I've got a jetpack because who doesn't want a jetpack? So I can run away and just leave the warlock. That's how I typically play. That's that Tony Stark now, swagger. Yeah. Yeah, you should have led with the jetpack. Jetpacks are smooth as shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you just jetpack over to someone and go, hey, hey, you probably want to stop this. <laughs> They would be so chill about that. Yeah. Oh. Or they're going to be like, you're definitely a devil. Oh, that's true. For now, I'll take I'll take a plus zero. If you can give me a plus zero, I'm happy with that. We're, we're great with the plus zero. So moving into the final category is spitting fire. How would you aggressively handle this situation? Oh, I'm going to pretend to be a devil. Okay, so check, check this. Instead of convincing them that we are not devil worshippers and that the warlock is innocent, we convince them that we are devil worshippers and that Barbaros is a, a devil himself. We pour some, quickly, pour some lamp fluid on top of the, the mech, light it on fire. I've got 10 temp HP every round, so even though it's burning, the shield should basically hold. It's not going to deal more than uh, 10 damage or not much more than 10 damage. So I'm going to make a big show about stomping around in my mech suit, swinging my hammer at the air and screaming, fire does not burn me i will consume your <laughs> souls so we just scare them off they might be able to hurt a bunch of devil worshipers but they're not going to be able to, th to think that their pitchforks are going to harm a burning devil in front of them oh man plus two wow that's huge is that yes. the first time fires actually come into the spitting fire category if, if, if it wasn't the first time that was the best time i love that that's great and it's and it's perfect too because you're not actually harming yourself so it's win-win fantastic what do you guys have we are arguing a plus one here. So we would use Message. We took the Sivant War Mage, so we got two Sorcerer Cantrips. We use Message on the village's Elder and tell him that the suspicions are true and that we newcomers are really heralds from the Hell Planets. We tell him we are opening a rift between Hell Worlds and his own. This is followed by a Thunderclap centered on the Elder and his family. We then use Squad Sight, which is a feature of the Coalition Arcanist, which allows to cast spells from where your allies are standing using their body as the basis point for the range and sniper traits to increase that range if necessary and we start unleashing thunderclaps all around this goddamn village as they really start to panic we rush forward saying we don't know what's going on here really sorry about this we really apologize so then they're going to start running away from us and we corral them into the biggest community building and then use rapid fortification to seal the doors close and use our phrase book as an interpreter to write really mean things about them in graffiti on the outside of the building, hop in our ship and take off. Okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna argue that that is a zero or a minus one, depending on how many people you literally just outright murder with those those thunderclaps. Because um, I don't know if that's a good way to convince people that you're devil worshippers so much as space dicks. Um, I think it's the technical term. I, I, I wrote the campaign study, if, but I'm not sure if, Gar if Garen and I were to go to space, we would definitely be space dicks. So, I think you should use your role on this one. Oh, all right. Garen, I'll do the honors. Oh, man. Uh, so, for a plus one, it's a DC 15. Is that right? Yep. Okay, what's our charisma modifier for this character again? Plus one with a 12. All right. 
And I rolled a six, so no. <laughs> okay, You're so getting, we're bumping that one down. Getting a zero on that one. All right. A couple of space dicks getting a zero. <laughs> so we are at the X Factor, which we do not score, Mike, but this is basically the character you've built for the lab today. Would you play this character? What do you like about it? Oh, I like that I have basically two characters built into one. One for melee, one for ranged, uh, one for smacking people, one for talking. I like that I've got like a third kind of like thing I can play with with the AI whenever something super technical comes up and I can bring the DM on it. Yeah, I would absolutely play this. Uh, Barbaro started as an NPC ages and ages ago when we did our first playtest of Dark Matters. Okay, I cheated. I didn't make it up entirely for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I made it up ages and ages ago. Uh, and absolutely, I would play Barbaros. I love this character. She'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely agreed. I love the mech suit idea. That hits home for me huge. You know, I'm a Gundam Wing kind of guy, so mech suits are always big for me. Fantastic. Dan, do you want to talk X Factor? How do you feel about, uh, what is his name? Paco Poro? Yeah, well, the pizza pizza boy. Uh, Absolutely, I would play this, but, and this is the God's honest truth, Mage Hand Press was what got me into compulsively building characters. I was constantly sending Garen builds from your supplements and so this is another home run i mean dark matter guys head on over to that kickstarter fund see this thing get funded get those stretch goals so that we can get the gadgeteer into the book there is just so much good stuff in here yeah this has been our love letter to science fiction and we want to respect D like fifth edition as it is and you know your own fantasy characters you can still play a wizard i know both of these were more technological uh but there's builds for barbarians and and sorcerers and uh we want to create a setting that like respects D for what it is and gives you those sci-fi options it lets you play the game you want to play in whatever way you want to do it so yeah uh it means a lot to hear you guys say that and i really hope we can make this kickstarter a thing so please guys go out there and throw us a couple bucks uh there's tons of stuff on the kickstarter page there's a 30 page sample book if you want to see some of these options for yourself and try them out um we were talking a lot about how blasters work you can see those for yourself uh those are all in the book it was hard to pick just one thing out of this i love the original races you guys have come up with amoeboid is it rothy I've been calling them the Roth. I need to put a little pronunciation thing in there because everyone's been calling them, uh, everyone that I meet in person says the Roth. Boy, we talked about them only briefly. I'd love to go, I could go at length for an hour about those guys. They're like space boogeymen. They're terrifying. They, yes. they steal people away at night and use their brains to put them in jars and power their ships. Uh, they have horrible constructs that, that they uh, use on people. You can play one of those that's kind of rebelled against the, the horrible psionic primarchs that can that control them. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Nautilids, who are, uh, you know, this aquatic race that lost their world, and they're wandering the, the, the galaxy trying to find a new world with the right aquatic composition to sustain them. There's so many great things in this book, and I, I seriously could rant about it for hours. If you guys bring me on again, I absolutely will do that, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Beautiful art, too. All the original races have fantastic art to go along with them. Just really great stuff. It breaks my heart, Mike, to tell you that we edge you out four to three on this episode. Ah, But it's, I said, as I said before, it's kind of your fault. You gave us so much to play with. (laughs) Yeah, I can't feel bad about that, seeing the War Mage win. I I love that class to death. (laughs) And really, honestly, a fantastic showdown. And thank you again for agreeing to come on the show. So if they... Listeners loved the content that we featured on this episode, which they inevitably did. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Kickstarter and what the reward tiers are and what they get for what they're going to be funding? 
So our reward tiers uh, start at $5 if you just want to get some wallpapers, $10 if you want to get a whole bunch of those classes and a bundle of PDFs. But if you want to get a digital copy of the Dark Matter book, that starts at $20. You can get a print copy starting at $40. We've got a variant cover that you can get for a little bit more. I, I should probably mention the, the highest tier because I, I really want somebody to pick this. It's $1,000 that might go down if nobody picks it. And we will build you a monster to put in the book complete with some fantastic art by our artist Martin Kirby. If you've seen some of the art from the book, you know how big of a deal that is. There should be enough variety for everybody on here. Go ahead and take a look at the 30-page sample book. Uh, I can't pitch that enough. It's, it's a really great little piece. Why don't you just go ahead and tell our listeners briefly also what Mage Hand Press has coming out of their laboratory in the coming weeks and months. Okay, so this month on Patreon, as I mentioned, is the Siege Ball Sourcebook, uh, which is an entire supplement about playing a sports campaign. And that sounds lame, but we're playtesting it out, and it is awesome. The next month is the Complete Gunslinger, which is this full of archetypes for our Gunslinger class, and it's got blasters from Dark Matter and revolvers from Weird West and muskets from High Seas, and uh, it's going to be this huge, uh, huge package. After that, we're going to revisit our Alchemist the month after that, and then the month after that is a massive, massive collection of spells, and if you hop on Patreon and throw a couple bucks you can vote for the book that we work on after that as mentioned wow. there's there's a ton of great stuff that's already being offered including the high c supplement and i cannot say enough good things about the fey folio and the lovecraft handbook i absolutely love the lovecraft handbook we will be featuring on this show and doing an episode on it so that's like one of your oldest supplements and it's it's just yeah, beautiful absolutely it's a fun one too yeah fantastic love that stuff can't wait to see more coming out of your lab but our own lab, we got a couple of things coming as well. Number one, the Denizens of the Beastlands, a supplement that we're putting on DM's Guild later this month, which is going to include five new races, playable races, of anthropomorphized animals that live on the savanna, giraffe, zebra, uh, rhino, stuff like that. We've got some lore. We've got some subclasses to go along with these. It's been a really fun project to be working on. While you're there, check out our other DMs Guild supplements, including Consequences for Port PC Resting Choices, which is one of our oldest pieces that we love to death, where you as a DM can punish your PCs for sleeping in a dungeon or an old forest or anything like that. Number three, our Spreadshirts Min-Max series of the link is in the show notes if you want to pick up one of our t-shirts. Number four, our Patreon. We mentioned it before. We have got six Fight Club episodes and six Monster Lab episodes available at our $5 tier if you become a patron today. For more information, check out patreon.com slash Lab. And number five, on September 1st, we are launching our new YouTube series. More information on that on our social media, including some previews as to what to expect. Yeah, and that nice little list about wraps things up for us this week, Lab Rats. A big thank you again to our guest this week, Mike, also known as the middle finger of Vecna from Mage Hand Press. And as always, Lab Rats, just remember, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been a production of the D&D Character Lab Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DND Character Lab. Or shoot us an email at dndcharacterlab at gmail.com. Most importantly, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. <laughs>